0: killing your plants but are your plants trying to kill you? Prepare for houseplant homicide in this week's show. As I talk with Marta McDowell about her new book Gardening is Murder I thought for Halloween week we'd go a little bit off-piste to find out how mystery writers have been inspired by plants and gardens. Whether you are a Halloween enthusiast or naysayer, it matters not. This episode is a fun diversion from normal life to take a look at the wonderful genre of the mystery novel, also known as crime fiction or murder mysteries, and how they relate to gardens, plants and planty people. And there's no better person to talk about that than Marta McDowell, whose other works include Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life and All the President's Gardens. So settle down with a small glass of sherry beside a roaring fire and enjoy our chat.
1: I'm Marta McDowell. I'm a writer and I teach landscape history and horticulture at the New York Botanical Garden.
0: Gardening Can Be Murder, great title for this spooky week of Halloween Tell me about where this all began.
1: So I think that the light bulb turned on with a little paperback book I picked up in the, I'm going to say, late 1990s. Uh, It was called Mulch, and it was by a garden journalist named Anne Ripley. I don't think Anne's with us anymore, but she was from Colorado, and her protagonist was a garden writer, not surprisingly. And it was a horticultural mystery. Uh, it, it, uh, it takes place in Washington, D.C. It, it had a lot of different components. And it was then I thought, oh, wait a minute. This might be a topic I could write about. And I did write an article for a wonderful little garden journal called Hortus, uh, David Wheeler, the editor, is very kind to me and lets me try out lots of different kind of zany ideas. And so that came out in 2002. And then this book actually grew out of that little global pandemic we had. So, you know, I needed something to work on. <laughs> and uh, that just, it spoke to me because I could write it without access to research libraries, which were hard to get to.
0: Yeah, I sympathise as somebody who was trying to write the book at the same time. Yeah, it was tough. And the book gives us a lot of insight into these works which draw on plants, gardens, people who love plants, tools that are involved in gardening and their role in dastardly goings on why do you think that this this genre is so kind of soaked in sap as it were
1: well you know gardening is something of a mystery you know anyone who grows plants uh knows that you're always solving a puzzle you know why does this propagant? why is it doing well and this one isn't Uh, you know, why did that plant die? Did I kill it? Was I the murderer? (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to like piece it together. Uh, It also, it has that nice kind of life and death contrast. You know, we have that idea of a garden being idenic, and yet it is a place where lots of bodies get hidden. You know, walk through the crime fiction section of your local bookstore, and invariably you will see a cover that has an illustration of you know a a, a shovel, <laughs> and, you know, and a hole, and you know they're putting putting a body in there. Uh, and plus, lots of
0: things in the garden can kill you. Exactly. I mean, I'm I'm just wondering now as you're speaking about compost heaps and whether there must be a novel somewhere where somebody's ended up in a compost heap, because whenever I'm turning my compost heap, I'm always thinking about death. I mean, that sounds really kind of neg- negative, but actually it's a wonderful insight into the cycle of life and death that we are all, you know, whether we like it or not a part of. I don't know if there's been any novels where somebody's sort of secreted a body inside a compost heap, but yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, not only mulch, that f- very first oh, yes, one that I, it, it was, well, I don't know. In the States, we have this strange suburban phenomenon that people rake their leaves, and many people put them in big brown paper bags, and then the, t- the town comes and picks them up for the municipal compost, or compost, as I say. <laughs> and that figures into mulch so in that novel let, let, let's just say you find body parts right and there's another one called compost mortem good title uh which a compost area does figure in so absolutely you know people have been very creative about how they use different aspects of horticulture
0: <laughs> obviously this is a podcast about house plants we're taking some liberties here as i am allowed to do after six and a bit years of uh, podcasting are there any indoor plants that get dragged into a murder plot? What, what indoor plants might we be thinking about when we're thinking about uh, these kind of crimes? So
1: definitely cacti have made appearances in, in murder mysteries. Maybe it's because of their, you know, their strange forms, cacti and succulents, you know, like the one behind my shoulder here have have their own kind of spooky silhouettes. Uh, but Dorothy L. Sayers, who, you know, is one of the great greats of that classic detective novel, uh, Busman's Honeymoon, I, I strongly suggest you, you read that for the cactus-obsessed vicar, uh, and houseplants, you know, make several appearances. Uh, the victim had been a great collector of of various cacti and succulents so that one works really well and then orchids appear quite often so if there are orchid enthusiasts you know on (laughs) as your listeners uh you have you have lots to choose from
0: why do you think orchids are so prevalent as a backdrop for these kind of things it's a good question i think it's it's
1: there's unusual form is part of it you know, it's something that uh, just their their morphology has this kind of attractiveness. You know, not just to their pollinators, but also to people. Uh, there was, you know, a great craze for orchids. You know, when they first started, uh, you know, being collected, uh, even H.G. Wells wrote a. a a mystery of sorts, I, you know. You could say, is it a mystery or, or is it sci-fi? But it's called Flowering of the Strange Orchid, so you know that's that's also a really you know really attractive one <laughs> to me. Uh, and then lots of people have used orchids in various ways.
0: That brings us neatly on to Rex Stout, the author who created the character Nero Wolfe. Tell us a little bit about this character and his orchid obsession, because I think this is one that is a good starting point, again, for somebody who is into houseplants and might like to dip their toe into this kind of story.
1: So Nero Wolf, the protagonist, he is an eccentric. He's also corpulent, he's reclusive. He lives in a brownstone in New York City. And so I am going to say they're set I think they're post-World War II, so I'm going to say 50s. Uh, Rex Stout wrote scads of them. He wrote something like 40 novels and probably as many short stories. Uh, Wolf becomes absolutely smitten with the orchid family. He was given a, a Vanda, a Vanda orchid, very fragrant Vanda suavis, and he kills it and then he he takes it up as a challenge and buys 10 more orchids uh, builds a greenhouse on his in his fifth floor penthouse and eventually has a collection of ten thousand orchids. Wow! So you know he has to charge enormous fees because he's got these you know very expensive hobbies. Not just orchids, but he's a gastronome, so he has his chef. So there are lots, there's lots of food in these mysteries. Uh, you know he hires. Uh, I think uh, I can't remember. Theodore Horstman is. Swiss, I think, you know, orchid manager who lives in the house. He, of course, has a sidekick because Nero Wolf doesn't go out. So he has Archie Goodwin. Um, you know, the novels are maybe a bit dated, you know. It, it, they certainly do not have a feminist twist. Do not
0: expect <laughs> that. But they're still a very fun read. I mean, this guy sounds like an absolute dude. I love the fact that he doesn't go out, but he's got this assistant who presumably goes out and does his, you know, legwork for him <laughs> and he's got the orchid guy I mean he's got 10,000 orchids I'm sure lots of listeners can relate to this scenario of getting one orchid or being given an orchid and then ending up just with this massive obsession oh that's fascinating I mean I, I think we probably all wish to be in a New York brownstone with thousands of orchids and, and lots of assistants providing us with delicious food and uh tending our plants it sounds perfect <laughs> He gave a real address
1: on West 35th Street. So if you walk down West 35th Street in Midtown Manhattan and look at each brownstone carefully, you will find one with a
0: plaque that says Nero Wolfe lived here. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. And was he good at solving crime? Did he, did he actually uh, succeed in unraveling these mysteries?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But do not expect to get an orchid as a gift. Uh, he does not sell them, <laughs> he doesn't give them away. Although there is one story where he agrees to solve a murder
0: in exchange for a couple of rare orchids as you would <laughs> i mean as you would of course you would yeah somebody offers you rare orchids to solve a crime you're going to be in you're going to be doing that so i would not only like to have like
1: to you know sort of be nero wolf i'd like to be Rex out because he was incredibly prolific and said you know i It usually takes me six weeks to write a book, but I try to shave a little off that. Right. You go, really? Come on. (laughs) It does. takes me like three years to write a book.
0: (laughs) Were they very popular when they came out? Were they a real hit? Were they bestsellers? He was popular and there have
1: been, you know, various TV series over time, you know, with Nero Wolfe's and Archie's played by various people. My favourite was when I came across the fact that William Shatner, who I remember as Captain Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, once played Archie Goodwin.
0: (laughs) I've got to dig that out. I'm a bit of a Trekkie. I would love to see that. That sounds great. Well, I'm definitely going to have to um, check out these Rex Stout books because i say uh, for some reason I'd not come across them before, but I I love everything about the sound of them. So thank you for alerting me to those. More from Marta shortly, but... Let me take a moment to say thank you to two new members of my Patreon clan, Bass and Jonathan, who have both become super fans this week. So exclusive personalised cards are wending their way to their addresses. And they'll also be getting a free copy of my new audiobook of Legends of the Leaf, which is out any day now any day. As soon as I've got the details of that, I will put it on the podcast and on all my usual social media channels. Very exciting. And if you want to find out more about becoming a patron, you can do that by visiting the show notes at JanePerone.com, where you'll also find links to a bonus episode with Marta, where we go into more detail about Gardening is Murder, her book, including the fabulous illustrations. And if you're looking for a Christmas present for friends, family or yourself, do check out Houseplant Gardener in a Box. My new product, it's out now. Again, more details at JanePerone.com. This set of 60 houseplant cards, all beautifully illustrated, is the perfect thing to dip in and out of over the festive season. And now time to get back to my chat with Marta McDowell and it's time to get on to a detective who shares my name. Miss Marple is a brilliant sleuth and it's partly due to the fact that she also loves gardening and she uses this to help her solve crimes too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Also, I've
1: always had a soft spot for Miss Marple. Uh, it's just a very i don't know very appealing character uh, she is her own woman you know christy i think her first miss marple short story was the tuesday night club which I find very interesting because there's a new series that's very popular that's that starts out with a title the Thursday Murder Club
0: yes I've just been reading the most recent book of that I just literally finished it this morning so I I have been I have been
1: mainlining them
0: (laughs) they're so good aren't they they're so good there's not enough plants in them but they are absolutely brilliant and that's another entry point for anyone wanting to get into those books but yeah anyway so there we are so do you think that's a reference? Do you think he's making a reference there? Uh,
1: I, uh, You know, it struck me immediately. I thought, wait a minute, isn't that an Agatha Christie title? And I went back and I said, no, no, it was the Tuesday Night Club. But... I right. think it has to be a nod. And, you know, if Richard yeah. Osman is
0: listening, please make the next one something horticultural. That one set in a uh, in a retirement village. There have to be gardeners there, right? I mean, I suppose I don't know if you've read the most recent one. I shouldn't give too much away. Have you read the most no, recent no, one? No, no, I'm okay. holding I'm it. I'm not going to. No spoilers. There is a very slight... Yeah, there is a very slight horticultural angle, but it's it's not center stage, but it is in there. If anyone's read the book, they'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, It does involve radishes. I'll say no more. But we definitely need a more of a gardening um, element to the next one, I think. Absolutely. uh, Sorry, that was a tangent. Miss Marple. Yeah. The first Miss Marple came out
1: in 1927. The last one came out in the 1970s. So, first of all, she had legs, right? She lasted. And, <laughs> you know, Christy, I think, also enjoyed writing about, writing her character just as, you know, I think she really enjoyed writing Hercule Poirot. It really comes across. Uh, you know, Miss Marple, ha- I think, is that sort of quintessential village mystery, right? St. Mary Mead is this charming village Miss Marple's home has this lovely cottage garden around it. She does not grow vegetables. She is a flower gardener. And she makes that quite clear. Uh, But I remember Agatha Christie saying, you know, Miss Marple came out, she was 65 or 70. It's no wonder that I, you know, (laughs) I now really like Miss Marple. Uh, And she said, I should have started her as a schoolgirl because. There's no way she'd still be alive, right? you know, writing, for, you know, four decades of Miss Marbles. And, you know, so many actors have played Miss Marble. She tends to have a hat. She's dressed, you know, very comfortably, but very appropriately. And it, little bits come out all through the, you know, the Miss Marple Chronicles about how she learned about gardening. You know, her governor taught her the language of her flowers. And she clearly knew botanical names because in one of the novels, she identifies this particular species of polygamum. Uh, and she loves to garden and birdwatch because she can be outside and keep an eye on what's going on in the village. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. That's a really key point, isn't it? That she's out in the garden, her eyes are open. Uh, People stop and talk to you when you're gardening uh, in view of the road. I know this because, you know, when I'm out in my front garden, people do stop. And, you know, that's when I get questions. I have um, verbascums planted in my front garden. And if I'm out there doing something, my front garden is nothing to write home about. But it does have some lovely verbascums, which my husband hates because... He has to park his car next to them and they're they're a cultivar called Snow Maiden and you get covered (gasps) in the fluff from them. But I always think actually, like if anyone committed a crime coming, like trying to commit a crime around my house, you'd be able to identify them because they'd be covered in Vabaskan fluff anyway. But yeah, you're right. You do get to talk to people. You spot things. You see people going by. What a brilliant thing. Does she have a a gardener, though? Does she employ somebody as well? Only later on. So by the time you get to the later novels, she,
1: you know, Christy does age her. And so she does have a story where she kind of faces aging and she has to bring in Mr. Laycock, who never does things the way she would, (laughs) you know, I also I really get this because you know, I will bring people in to help me because unfortunately, my garden, I, I spend too much time gardening at my keyboard so then my garden gets doesn't get the attention it deserves. And so I have to get help. And you know that it's never the way you want it, exactly, but you have to learn to let go. And even Miss Marple, right? She has to learn to let go. and you know, she has gardening friends. I'm sure, you know, all your listeners do, right? You have people that you can chat about the latest catalogs and what's growing well. And,
0: you know, for her, it's Dolly Bantry, who lives in the big house in town. (laughs) That's a really good point. And that's partly what gardening is about, isn't it? And uh, does, I was wondering whether the other big fixture of the horticultural year in Ye oldie England, as we might say, um, is the annual show. Does that ever feature in any stories? I'm trying to remember if there's any reference to, you know, I don't know, some dastardly crime being committed among the giant vegetables and the sweet pea display, or anything like that. Because that seems to me to be a a, a plot waiting to happen, where you could have, you know, something happening behind the scenes some dastardly crime
1: there is one it's by Catherine aired if i'm pronouncing her name correctly uh and i'm just trying to come up a passing strange i think is the name of it Um, and that does have the you know the, the the fate right and they have all the tents and there is a show and you know, the murder actually is in one of the tents. So that one is a lot of fun.
0: Going back to Miss Marple, the joy of those books also is, I think, the the archetype of the English cottage garden, that we can imagine Miss Marple's garden when she's... And that we imagine it just being the absolutely perfect cottage English cottage garden, which I know for... Well, for English listeners, but also American listeners, is something that is very you know is is a very um well thought of and loved construction and it is a construction obviously um do we think she was a, a good gardener do you, i mean i always think of myself as as like you like you i don't have enough time my garden's always in a mess but do you think she, her garden actually looked really good did she get compliments
1: oh i think so because when she went to other gardens she was you know very particular <laughs> you know, she, she's walking through, I'm sure you've had this feeling, where she sees some bindweed and she it's everything she can do to, you know, prevent herself from trying, you know, stooping down and untangling, you know, and trying to evict the bindweed. Um, you know, there's, you know, I just assume that because she did seem to do everything well, right down to the damson gin, that's what I want to be invited for
0: yes the dam that's a really good point damson gin uh a good damson tree i would say is i mean i don't unfortunately i lost my plum tree a few years ago and i now only have a tiny one i don't have a damson tree but yeah if you're gonna have a uh, plant a tree a good damson tree for that damson gin Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I have made some quince gin this autumn, so I'm going to see how that turns out. I am obviously aiming to become Miss Marple the older I get. I'm just going to be channeling this the whole way along. You bet. Um. <laughs> you bet. So,
1: she, you know, she does all sorts of, you know, she'll get the primula varus and, and brew them into some, I think it was wine, cowslip wine. Oh, okay. You know, so those I, she has this, you know, interest in alcoholic beverages as well, which
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a whole um little thing going on which I call uh better be- better baking through alcohol, which is basically using up all those weird bottles of alcohol that you bring back from foreign holidays in various cakes and things and it's really interesting how you can flavor banana bread in a million different ways with those little liqueur bottles so um yeah (laughs) miss marple i think any of those miss marple novels are a wonderful cozy place to go in the winter or when you're feeling a bit down on the outside world as it often is is becoming harsh that wonderful world of of saint mary mead is a wonderful place to go but have you got other recommendations for books or, or series or authors where people might want to start with this kind of genre with a horticultural element? So if you, if you want a series that
1: has horticulture, I would look at Susan Whittack Albert has two different series. She's, she's a prolific writer and in, in a strange way, I've sort of, I've, I've kind of followed her uh, because she wrote a mystery series with, Beatrix Potter, and then I wrote a book, Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life, and she wrote a book about Laura Ingalls Wilder and her daughter, you know, a novel, and then I wrote a nonfiction about Laura anyway. But she has two series. One is starring an herbalist named China Bales. Uh, That is a contemporary series, so set in the undefined present. Uh, And in the Texas Hill Country, which is a beautiful part of Texas, and then she's got another series that's set in the, you know, early nineteen thirties in Alabama called, and it's the it's about a garden club. So it's the it's the darlings, right? <laughs> it's Darling, Alabama, so it's the Darling Garden Club. And they are really well researched, they're well crafted, and they all have plant and gardening gardening themes. So they're both really fun.
0: Fantastic. Well, I shall put links to those in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow up on that. I like the sound of both of those. And I I wonder whether there's room, though, for somebody to sort of take on uh, the sort of pandemic era houseplant surge and somehow turn that into a a new character who's really into Aroids or, you know, has a IKEA greenhouse cabinet full of Hoyas or something and make this into kind of the... 2020s equivalent of nero wolf i'm i'm not going to be doing that but that's an idea i'm going to throw out there for somebody to take up
1: yes or you know carnivorous plants you know would be another you know it's like there have been stories that include carnivorous plants but they haven't really been the driver you know it's one great Fun about working on this project was also finding unusual authors who might be out of print. So th- th- there was one, I think I have it right here. Oh, this is in reprint now. It's an Irish author named Sheila Pym. Sheila Pym was a garden writer. She wrote a biography of Augustine Henry, who was a great plant collector. But this one was called Common or Garden Crime. And it's set in an Irish village during the Second World War. So that was really fun. And another one that I came across is Reginald Hill. And he wrote, I know, Roses, you know, sort of off the topic of house plants but he wrote a brilliant book called Deadheads. Great title. Every chapter has a chapter heading of a different variety of rose, and the chapter has something to do with that and the whole motive setting and and i guess basically all of the murder weapons are all drawn from the rose garden
0: (laughs) that's brilliant i'm those are going straight onto my reading list i love the sound of all of those and uh yeah that's I love that idea of deadhead. What a great title. What a great title. I mean, there are so many lethal tools in the average uh, greenhouse or shed. I know I've got some pretty lethal ones and it's now getting to that stage where my son wants to help me in the garden and he'll come out with some massive pruni- pruning saw and say, can I use this? And you're kind of like, okay, under supervision. But uh, yeah, that's I can imagine that the, there's fruitful uh ground there for anyone who wants to uh, get into this genre and indeed i'd love to to know that somebody's writing new stuff in this area i'm sure there's there's it's so popular isn't it um i must hear back from you when you've read the new thursday murder club book what you thought of it the last devil to die as I say, I've just finished it as an audiobook. And as I say, there's a little bit in there for the gardeners. So enjoy that. But thank you so much for joining me, Marta. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, my reading list for the next few months is jam packed now. So thank you very much.
1: <laughs> and I will say I have put the the whole reading list, which is included in the book. I've also put it on my website, which is just my name. Uh, and I'm, growing it so if people have suggestions please send them along
0: because what a fun resource i'll put a link in the show notes for that that's excellent thank you so much that's all for this week's show i hope you've enjoyed this little diversion And I hope that looking after your houseplants isn't murder this week. Bye! The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joydrops, The Road We Used To Travel When We Were Kids by Kumiku, and Plantation by Jason Shaw. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.